0: Welcome to another session of Kingdom 101. To all of you seated here, as well as those of you who are listening in, good to have you back listening to this uh, audio recording. Let's begin with a word of prayer, and we'll jump into our teaching directly. Father, we thank you always, Lord, we thank you for the Scriptures, O Lord, because this is your word that reveals you, it reveals Jesus, it reveals everything that you are and what your kingdom is about. So Lord, we don't want just to study it as a text, we want Holy Spirit to come and speak to us, to come and just open our hearts and our eyes and our ears, oh Lord, so that we can receive, and not just receive, but also, Lord, to respond. So Lord, we thank you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, we've been journeying not just to the book of Matthew, but we've been going specifically journeying across two chapters for the last, uh, many, quite a few sessions Two chapters in Matthew, chapter 8 and chapter 9. Now, you know that these two chapters come directly after the teaching on the Sermon of the Mount, where Jesus teaches with authority. And later, he comes down from the mountain into the multitudes, and Matthew records his demonstration of what the kingdom authority and power is all about, as well as the training of his disciples along the way. We know that there are 10 miracles with discipleship footnotes in between. And if you have been listening to the teachings you have been coming here, we know that there are different topics and we have addressed also different issues. But you must remember that they all form the part of a much larger picture. So don't forget this. Sometimes when you are listening to a message... You know, it's specific at that point in time. You know, or on a Sunday, you listen to a sermon and it sort of touches you because that topic is relevant. But always pull back, and since you are doing an expository journey, don't forget the larger picture. Don't miss Matthew's main intent throughout the two chapters. Okay, so I just want to give you that reminder. I want to spend the first part just reviewing a little bit because this will help us understand the rest of this message. You know, the Ten Miracles can be divided into like three sections. So in the last teaching, I sort of dramatized it for you, like Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. So if you look at Act 1, the very first teaching was about the leper. It was about cleanness and uncleanness, and Jesus was teaching about how do you restore someone into a messianic community. Of course, we see that Jesus has power. He has authority over sickness. He heals this leper. But more critically, we see that the kingdom messianic community includes as many people as it is possible. Then we look at the second one, which is the day Messiah marvel. Now, do you remember why the Messiah marvel? It was the story of the centurion. His servant was not well. And the centurion displayed great faith. Jesus was marvelling at the faith of this guy. Once again, this guy, Gentile, so Jesus was demonstrating the inclusivity of the kingdom. And don't forget, after that it was, how does one gain access into the kingdom? What does that really mean? And I suggested to you that it's not just great faith to believe for something, but out of great faith must result great faithfulness. That's important. If not, we're just believing Then how do we change in our lifestyle? Following that would be that funny title called Super Sub. This is about Peter's mother-in-law who was not well. And using that very simple story, Matthew makes a case that miracles are merely signs that point to the Messiah. That was his main intent. It was a much bigger picture. And why a super sub? Why a substitute? Because when he quoted from Isaiah, he was telling people later on that this is the Messiah we're talking about. He takes your sin upon himself. He is that substitute that was sacrificed for you. He came to serve you. And as he served Peter's mother-in-law, later on she was healed, she gets up, and she in turn serves him. And so don't miss that message, right? The Messiah is there. He's that wonderful substitute on our behalf. He came to serve us, but what's the result? What should be the outcome? That after He serves us, now we serve Him. So you look at these three pictures together, and then we have a discipleship footnote. Read the fine print. Again, Matthew is giving a Christological claim. The scribe was calling Him the Son of Man. Matthew was writing, what does it mean to follow Jesus, the Messiah? Because if you want to follow Jesus, it's serious business. It's, you don't play, play with this. The scribe thought he was all ready to go, and then the other disciple then said, okay, wait, so let me go back and bury my father first. And so you can swing to either extremes, you can presume your readiness, or you can give a procrastinated response. And either extreme would not be healthy, you've got the whole both intention because you want to be serious in following Jesus but at the same time you don't make excuses and keep pushing it to say that I'm not ready so if i can summarize act 1 for you i believe the focus the focus of act 1 is really about following and serving the messiah now you look at this whole thing and like but what about the miracles I said, well, what about the miracles? We know Jesus has authority. He heals and He does all that He can do. But miracles are signs. So don't just get caught up with the signs and miss the focus of what Matthew was really showing us. Then we go to Act 2. And the message was entitled, All Aboard. Remember, they got into the boat and they went over to the other side. The storms come and Jesus has authority over the wind and the waves. Everything is about Jesus' authority. Everything points to the Messiah. We are not sure whether was it a natural thing or was there a demonic opposition. In either case, it doesn't matter because Matthew's point is to show that Jesus is the Son of Man and only God, this Messiah who is God Himself, has authority over the wind and the waves. No one else has control over this. Then when we get to the other side, we meet the demoniacs and... It's an interesting title, right? What Demons Know. Do you know what demons know? I can tell you what demons know. I know that demons know more than what we know because they take Jesus really seriously. We are not as serious as they are. They know what the problem is. They know what the challenges are and they know that they have to obey Jesus because He's the name above all names. Once again, it's Christological. He's the Son of God. Matthew records it, right? The demons shout, why do you come and torment us before time, you, you son of God? So it's again Christological. Matthew demonstrates the authority over the demons. And we've got a few points down there. Go back and listen to this. But at the end, the demonized became the deputized. Before that, they had demons within them. After the the demons were cast out, Jesus deputizes them and gives them their kingdom assignment. See, that means don't just look at the miracles of casting out a demon. See what happens after that. Then the third miracle in this group was the paralytic that was lowered through the roof. I said it was the very first airdrop ever recorded. Again, it's Christological. Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. You see this? Do you get a hint what Matthew is trying to do down here? Okay? This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. Now, faith is important. It's an integral ingredient in our spiritual walk. We learn also that it may not be your faith. It could be someone else's faith. Faith is still faith. And we learned a lot of things about faith. We address many points through all the miracles. We had to look at the relationship between sickness and sin and salvation and faith. And we're not going to get into that this evening. We've thought about that enough. And immediately after these three miracles, we have two discipleship footnotes. One is entitled, Go and Learn. Go and Learn. And I call this the miracle of Matthew. Sometimes we think that if we are to be holy and separated, it means that we never hang out with the bad guys or the people that are unruly and so on. But Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And when the Pharisees came and asked Him and questioned Him, He says, look, haven't you heard? What's this line? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, you go back and go learn some more. That means your Bible school will never teach you properly, you know. All your sermons and everything, they didn't tell you properly, you know. If you are behaving this way, something is wrong. It was a discipleship footnote because Jesus is trying to tell them the Kingdom of God welcomes everyone who realizes their need for salvation. Stop turning them away. And after that, not only the Pharisees, the disciples of John will come to him and say, how come your disciples don't fast, but we have to fast? And so that title is called Fast Forward. And we talk about fasting, why is it not needed at that point? And why is it needed, is it relevant at this point? And when you fast, you fast forward with a new covenant understanding. But we see here in Act 2, the focus is not just about the Messiah, that's almost taken as read. But you notice in the first act, Matthew establishes Jesus as the Messiah. We follow and we serve Him. But if you look at these three miracles in act 2, these are oppositions. The wind and waves try to stop Jesus, right? Um, the demons are the one that comes against Jesus. And not only these supernatural wild winds and waves, uh, sometimes within the institution, you also get opposition, The Pharisees will come to Him. So if you want to follow Jesus, I believe there's a picture that tells you, you get ready for some challenges. If the kingdom of God wants to advance, you can expect that there will be opposition. It's not going to be a walk in the park. But through it all, Matthew is saying, Jesus is the Messiah. The miracles only point to the Messiah. That's it. Be impressed with the miracles, Especially for this year, Chinese New Year, we just finished. Uh, You can look at the miracles and you go, wow! But after the wow, don't forget the bow. So it's not just wow, it's a bow and a wow together. Some of you didn't get that, the year of the dog. (laughs) Don't just wow with Jesus, right? You bow, you submit, you follow. At the end, if He really is the Messiah, He's just not there to, to perform things for you. But if you want to follow Him, there are challenges. You get ready for some opposition. That's why the discipleship footnotes are there. So Act 1 and Act 2, and then we come to Act 3, and we saw a, a scene stealer the last time when we were here. It was about Jairus and a woman with the issue of blood. Again, Jesus is the Christ. It's a Christological claim once more. He's got authority over death and over disease. And again, we went through all the teachings about sin and about, about sickness, you know, how are they related or not, uh, what's the place of faith, Well, since faith is mentioned so many times. We've explored all that. And so by now, I believe Matthew would have made his case. I would have repeated enough times to bore someone who was trying to hear something new. But I think Matthew just keeps going on. He said, come on, guys, this is the Christ. Because Matthew's intent throughout his entire book is to declare Jesus as the Messiah. So having arrived to this point, Matthew has made his case. He is now concluding. And so you will see that the record of these two miracles are quite quick. The details are quite scanty. Because he's already made his point. And he will just state it once more, perhaps, for emphasis. And so as what I've done for the others, I'll go in a little bit more detail here, but it will still be really an overview. And after I do that overview, I will get to the main focus of Acts 3. You see that? Uh, So that we can see the whole picture and piece it all together. So let's go to Matthew chapter 9, 27 to 34. I was looking at each of the miracles separately. And I kept saying, it's the same points. It's the same themes. It's the same thing, you know. And then suddenly the Lord showed me, do it together, read it together. And then He showed me something else which we will get to in a while. Okay, so let's read this text together first. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed Him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when He had come into the house, the blind men came to Him And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to Him, Yes, Lord. Then He touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about Him in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to Him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the ruler of demons. You know, as we were reading that passage, did you identify the same themes again? Yeah? By now, you, you are all experts already in Matthew, right? As you read this, it, like, oh, Matthew, you're saying the same thing, you know? And I can hear Matthew saying to you, yeah, so if you don't get it now, I'll say it one more time. (laughs) Okay, so let's look at, I'll give you at least four and I'll add one more, okay, that would be mentioned for the very first time. The first thing is what? No surprise, right? It's Christological. It's Christological. Again, it's a messianic claim. And where do we see it? Son of David. Son of David is a messianic title. Now, we have heard Son of David before. But it was way back in chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. The second message of this entire Kingdom 101. Three years ago. And it's entitled, All in the Family. Okay, so if you want to know about the son of David, what's the significance? Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 reads, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. After that, in verse 20 Matthew writes about Joseph and declares Joseph as the son of David to show that Joseph is part of that lineage, part of that heritage and that family line of David. Why? Because the Messiah needs to come from that line. So Matthew has already traced all that way. Session number two, all in the family. And session number three, mess and Messiah. That's the title. So if you want to go review it, We've already talked about this. The Messiah will come from the line of David. So when someone says to Jesus, you're the son of David, it's a, it's a messianic title. And interesting, huh? the blind man could identify Jesus as the son of David. How ironic that the blind man could see it. So number one is a Christological claim. And that's not the only thing. The other thing we see is that It was also a messianic promise that the Messiah, when He comes, He will heal the blind, the deaf, and the dumb. And that's why these miracles are included. So I'll give you some scriptures. If you're taking notes, you can just note them down. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book. The eyes of the blind shall see out of the obscurity and out of darkness. It was prophesying about the Messiah to come. Isaiah 35, verses 5 to 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the dumb sing. See, the mute will be able to to have voice. Psalm 146, verse 8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. You can take down another reference, Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah 42, verses 7, 16, and 18. They've got references about the blind having their eyes open. It's a messianic claim. It's a messianic promise. So right at this point, if you've been reading Matthew, the readers, original readers looking at this sequence or that development of Matthew, by the time it comes here, they would like, oh, I see. You know, It should be so obvious for them. So that's the first thing. We've already explored this. The second common theme is this Jesus has authority over sickness. The eyes were open for the blind people, the two blind men, eyes were open. Again, we already know this. Jesus has authority over sickness and over disease. We also covered this point way back when we talked about the demons. Why were there two demoniacs and the other Gospels mentioned uh, one demoniac? And I shared with you, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience and he inserted two witnesses because the Jewish uh, understanding is that you must have two, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, then a case is established. So in the same way, there are two blind men here. But if you look at Mark and Luke, it's one blind man. His name is Bartimaeus. Is this the same account or is it a different account? We're not really sure. We're not really sure. Because later on in Matthew chapter 20, there is another blind man healing that sounds much, much closer to the Bartimaeus account in Mark and Luke. And this account with its details is not covered in Mark or Luke. So we're not really very sure. All I know is Matthew has inserted this incident here and obviously he must have a reason and I will get to that in a while, okay? The third thing which we've already seen is Jesus has authority over demons. By now, you go, duh. <laughs> yeah? We already know He's already cast out demons. And these guys were doing crazier things to the demoniacs, right? They were naked. They were tearing out chains. This one is only dumb or mute, correct? So, We know that demons can cause sickness, as in this case. The man was not able to talk. He was mute because of a demon possession. But at the same time, not all sickness would be due to demonic attacks. But we can all understand and agree, demons are dangerous. So don't play play. Sometimes we try to push limits, lah, and especially with like, the occult and stuff like that. And we say, I do what? But nothing happened to me what? Or oh, I see my friend play what? But nothing what? You know? uh, the demons are not stupid. You know? If they give you 100% hit rate, now nah, you know where they are going. Right? So they will catch you when they least expect it. So demons are dangerous. Go ahead and listen to that teaching and you will understand that. So by now we know that Jesus can cast out demons and He does. He has authority of the demons. He casts this demon out and the man was able to speak again. The fourth is about faith. And if up to now you're still confused about the place of faith, then you must review the other teachings, right? Things like, must we always have faith to be healed? You know, what if there's no faith? Will someone else be healed? No? So I will not cover all that again. But the point here is, that Jesus asked these two blind men, do you believe I'm able to do this? And perhaps it was for them to answer, there was a point of contact, a point of touch base, and they go, yes, Lord. And when he said, according to your faith, let it be to you, a commentator wrote that it is in response to your faith, not in the measure of your faith, that I will then heal you. Do you understand the difference? And so some people will say, oh, I don't have enough faith. I don't think this is what this verse is saying. But do you believe that Jesus can heal? Right? and sometimes we still have some, some measure of doubt that is inside there. Will Jesus look at you and say, oh, you got 1% doubt there, I cannot heal you. Okay, again, we've covered all these things, so I will not touch on this here. For the blind man, yeah, there was a faith example. For the demon-possessed mute, I think for him, it was not possible for him to display faith. But some people brought him to Jesus. So I said again, someone's faith is also faith, that's fine. Let's look at this part about faith. The other flip side is mercy. You notice before Jesus asked them, do you believe I'm able to do this? They approached Jesus. Son of David, have mercy upon us. Have mercy on us. And this is the very first time mercy is mentioned as a request. Although the word mercy is not mentioned by the others, I can see that it's demonstrated through their posture when they come to Jesus, in their posture of obedience and their posture of submission. What's mercy? Mercy is don't give us what we deserve. We say grace is can you give us what we don't deserve? So when you look at mercy, you must look at the flip side of mercy as the same coin, It's grace, it's actually the same thing. If I'm asking you not to give me what I deserve, then I'm saying then give me what I don't deserve. And it shows that their posture of the heart is that they acknowledge they need a pardon of sorts. They need something that they know that by themselves they have no right to ask. And that's why they say, have mercy upon us. And as you look at mercy or grace, you'll see that it's also coupled with faith, always. These two things. Because if we are asking for something that we do not deserve, then there's nothing we can work for. But it's something we can only believe in. You see the point here? Okay, so when you look at mercy and grace, it's always coupled with faith and vice versa. So when you ask God for something by his mercy or by his grace, you're not working for it, you're believing in who he is and what he can do. Let me give you a verse here Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. You look at that one line. Therefore, it is of faith. It means, this is talking about Abraham. You believe. That's all you can do. There's nothing else you can do. You just believe. And if it's of faith, then it is by grace that the promise might be sure. See the coupling here? Faith and grace. And the promise is certain because you can't work, you know it is He who will give it to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Are you getting the picture? Okay, Grace and faith, faith and grace and mercy, they're all coupled together because it is a gift. We do not deserve it. So we see that faith is never used as a tool of entitlement. It's not, if I name it, then I will claim it. Or God, you must give because I believe. If it's an entitlement, it's no longer by grace. You see that? It is a posture of humility and of submission that is most important. And whilst we may be confident in the person of Jesus Christ and His ability and His authority, we mustn't become presumptuous or arrogant. It's always this posture of the heart that we must be careful to maintain. So as you look at these themes, we've covered it all, right? So tonight, if you're here for the first time, you're listening to this message for the first time, you get a nice summary of the focus of Act 1 and of Act 2 and now we're going to get to Act 3. And as I looked at the two miracles that are there, the Lord actually caused me to take a step back to pull the lens out and to look at the miracle that came before the two miracles that came before and this is act three the four miracles two together I call it one and then the second and the third the first one we'll focus on the girl that was that has passed away she's dead and remember Jesus said no lah she's not dead lah she's only sleeping and so I put there asleep and the second miracle is about the blind And the third is about a mute. And I want to see this progression of the first to the second and to the third. What does Jesus do? He goes in there and He awakens the girl. And the word asleep in the Bible is really a euphemism for for death. Instead of saying someone is dead, in another time in Lazarus, the account of Lazarus, He says, no, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. John chapter 11, verse 11. And the disciples didn't get it, right? And so Jesus goes and wakes this person up. And so if someone is awakened, it means someone is alive. Now what happens after this miracle? If you join the dots, when someone is alive, the first thing that happens is the eyes will open. Is that correct? One of the first things now, I mean, I'm not saying that always it must happen that way, right? But Jesus opens the eyes. Sight will come next. And after that, there will be an expression because he's alive. What he sees, he will declare. He will speak. Can you see this group together here? And I add two words there, hear and act, next to the word speak. Because sometimes for the mute, they are not able to speak because they're not able to hear. Hearing and speaking go together for some of them. Yeah. Just like maybe seeing and also hearing and then speaking... And speaking could also refer to acting in a certain way. There is an outcome that comes out of that. So if you are alive, when you are alive, now, if you need three words, I'm playing the teacher here again. The first word is vivant. (laughs) Because it's French. And I probably have just embarrassed myself by speaking bad French. But once you're alive, vivant means alive. Once you're alive, you must have what? Vision. Vision. And after that, you must have a voice because what you see, you declare. In Latin, it's not vivant or vi. You know, c'est la vie. Is, vie is life, right? In Latin, it's vita. Where we get this English word vital or vitality. And how do you tell when someone is alive or what's the condition of this person? You look at vital signs of life. You check the pulse rate, you check the respiratory rate, you check the body temperature, you check the blood pressure. These are the vital signs. If all these are are zero, then there's no vita. There's no vitality anymore in this person. And I believe that as I look at this... I believe the Lord is trying to tell us something, that if we are alive, when we are alive, what are the vital signs, right? We must be able to see something, and after we see, we should be able to declare. And if miracles are signs, and we look at these miracles, what might this sign be signaling to us? Is there something that is there? And as I pondered this, I realized that the physical conditions reveal a spiritual reality. There is a sign, there's a message that's hidden somewhere inside down here. You know, in Singapore now, we're talking about revival, right? Everybody loves the word revival. But revival is also about life. If you want to bring life back, what happens after revival? There has to be revelation if you follow this. You don't just want someone to be alive and after that, they don't even understand what's happening. There has to be a revelation of what's important. They have to see something. And after that, there has to be a response to that. And if you hold these three things together, I think it gives us a focus of what this Act 3 is all about, that well summarizes everything that Matthew is trying to say. For the rest of this time, I want to give you some biblical patterns, because you may be looking at this and you might be wondering, are you sure or not? Is this what it is? Is this sequence correct? Do we have some biblical examples that we can look at? And so I thought it' would be good to share some of these with you, and I picked out not one, not three, I picked out seven. OK? So you take notes, huh? Take note of this, because if you catch this, it can help you and it can help all of us together. OK? So let's look at the biblical examples, seven examples for you to consider. Let's look at Isaiah first. Everybody knows the story of Isaiah in chapter six, right? Would you say that Isaiah would have been spiritually alive? Definitely so, right? Okay, he has been called by God. He is a prophet. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. There was a revelation. There was a vision. He saw something. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple. Not only that, he hears the voice. See, if someone is spiritually alive, if someone is alive, if you are alive, we see spiritually. We begin to see things and understand things. We begin to hear things that would make sense to us. And as he does this, chapter 6, verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And a famous missionary replied, Here am I. Send me, Lord. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. This is what the Lord says to him. And he says, Go and tell. Can you see this? So if you are alive, You start to see, you start to hear. Now the Lord says, now start to speak. All of us will have a proclamation. Is that amen? Right? Some of us can preach from a pulpit. Some of us can speak. Some of us can share. And some of us need to act differently. But there will be, in inverted commas, a voice. There will be a response. There will be a responsibility that comes out of that revelation. And so this is Isaiah. God says, go and tell this people. Now what does God want him to tell the people? Keep on hearing, but do not understand. This one very jealous. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Can you see the same theme? Make the heart of these people dull, their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart and return and be healed. Let me paraphrase this for you. Isaiah, this is what you've got to tell them. But after you tell them, they will hear, but they won't hear. They will see, but they will not see. They will listen, but they will not listen. How many of you want to be a preacher like that? Nobody wants, right? And this is Isaiah's mandate. This was, this was his kingdom assignment. And then he will, he will go on and ask, okay God, but how long? Huh? How, how long do I have to do this? You know, Maybe one, two sermon I can tahan. Lah. And God tells you, until disaster happens. You know? <laughs> how many of you want to be spiritually alive? You want to see the Lord, you want to hear the Lord and you want to speak for Him. You see, this is what it is. So biblical example number one. I fast forward to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 13. I call this about kingdom mysteries. I love this passage. It's sandwiched between the parable of the soils and the explanation of that parable. Disciples ask, Lord, why do you speak in parables? Why do you teach in parables? He answers in verse 11, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. So Jesus is really saying something like this. The mysteries of the kingdom are for people who are alive. Because those who are alive will have eyes that will be open to see and ears to hear and who will be able to also later proclaim. Is that correct? Because later in the next verse, in verse 14, he explains the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled in this people. Which prophecy? The one we just read in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. They will hear, but they won't hear. They will see, but they won't see. They were hearts, but they don't understand. Why? Because they are spiritually what? Dead. So we've got to ask ourselves, are we alive or are we dead? There's one more time this prophecy is quoted again, you know. Do you know where or not? is in Acts chapter 28, right at the end, where Paul, trying to present the kingdom of God to the Jews, arguing with them, presenting them, trying to convince that Jesus is the Christ, this is what the kingdom is all about. And they looked at me and said, Nah, do now, are you sure or not? And Paul quoted this against them to say, you guys are spiritually dead men. You are spiritually blind. You are spiritually deaf. And that's why whatever is coming out does not sound nice. And he left the Jews and the synagogues and he went to the Gentiles. Can you understand how important spiritual aliveness is? But don't just stop at just saying, I'm alive. You see, if you follow that sequence, then you can begin to check yourself where you might be along that spectrum. Let's look at John John chapter 9, verse 39. The entire chapter of John chapter 9 is a, about the healing of another blind man. And it's a, quite a comical one when you read towards the end. But then here Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. And then some of the Pharisees sort of got the hint and they asked, Are we blind also? And in verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have had no sin, but now you say you see, so therefore your sin remains. You know, very cryptic in the way Jesus talks. Huh? Right? So you've got to sit down and be like, huh? You've got to read a few times. Huh? So, um, he really gave the Pharisees quite a hard time in that sense. But this is in chapter 9. Now what does Jesus say in chapter 10, verse 10, immediately after that? I have come so that you might have life. And you can have abundance of life. John is about life. Because in chapter 1 verse 4, it says, In Him was life. And this life was the light of man. Now tell me, how do you see? Seeing is about light. You know, you've got no light, you cannot see. So once you have life, you must have light. Light will give you sight. And if you have sight, then after that, you'll be able to proclaim. You're ready to be witnesses for Him. You can declare and you'll be able to speak. You can act and you can respond. So Jesus addresses spiritual blindness, but you know it doesn't just start there. It starts with spiritual deadness. So this is the first three, the first set for you to look at this. I'm going to go to Paul. Paul in chapter 9, Paul's encounter with Jesus. He encounters life himself. He encounters a light. It was a blinding light. For three days he couldn't see. But when he encounters Jesus, something was already happening within him, correct? And what was Ananias asked to do? You go to this place. There's this guy named Paul and pray for him and his sight is restored. Can you see? The moment you are born again, your eyes will open and immediately, a few verses after that, he gets up, talks to the disciples and he gets out there and he proclaims the gospel. He's alive. His eyes are opened to see things and physically also open to show that. And after that, his mouth opens And he declares the Christ and His kingdom. Are you beginning to get the picture? Are you starting to be more convinced if you were not before? Now, why am I sharing Paul with you? Because we're going to look at the writing of Paul now. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. You go back and you read this. I like the very very first line. You were once dead in sin, but you He made alive. Are you believers of Jesus Christ? Yes or no? By faith, through grace. By grace, through faith. Whichever way you want to say it. God grace, God faith, can already. The promise is sure, yes? Are we alive? How come you don't sound very convinced? Are you awake first? Are we alive? Yeah, Paul says, you, He made alive. Now what must happen after someone is alive? The eyes have to be open, correct? So it's a one thing to declare this being alive. Now, if you look this at this whole passage, let me tell you what it means to be alive in Christ. Huh? You are seated with Him in heavenly places. You are far above all principalities and powers. You have the hope of His calling. You have the glorious riches of His inheritance. You partake of the exceeding greatness of His power. You partake also of His fullness. This is what being alive in Christ means. The question is, can you see it? Can you see it? Can I suggest to you that a lot of Christians cannot see it? But if you ask them, are you alive in Christ? Of course, we will say yes by faith. But... Something else needs to happen after that. That's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 says, I pray that the Father will give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. I know we are alive. I know we are believers in Jesus Christ, right? But many do not walk in that fullness why? Because we declare one thing, but our eyes are still closed to the promises that we have in Christ. Eyes will have to be open, And I can tell you that when you start to see all these things, you cannot sit still. You cannot keep quiet. There will be something that would come out. Are you alive? If you are alive. When you are alive. You understand? This sequence is like, Wow, to me, I looked at it and it's like, I think someone needs to hear this tonight. Someone needs to be reminded about this tonight. So the church is alive, amen? Because we're all believers in Jesus Christ. So we ask a question. If the church is alive, then there should be no such thing as a dead church. Is that amen? Yeah. But by the time you get to Revelation, we read about a dead church. Can you see this problem here? And this is the church in Sardis. Revelation 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. That you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Well, this is a terrible pronouncement, you know. Okay, I hope it is there for example that we ourselves never get to hear this. Amen? But you have a reputation. You have a name that you are alive. We, we all shout we are alive. But Jesus comes with the clearest, clearest assessment because he knows. And he says to the church, huh? when he says you, it's not one person. It's, it's just generally in the church inside. Sardis. You are dead. But there's hope. Because he's saying to these guys, you're dead, but you, you better, this is what you need to do. Be watchful. Be watchful. In other words, uh, how do you watch? You can't watch with eyes closed, right? So you're almost dead already. That's why he, Jesus has pronounced that you're dead. But actually, there's a there's, there's glimmer of that life that's inside. That if you will listen and pay heed, you can open your eyes. Your spiritual eyes can open once more. You can be watchful. You can see things that need to be seen. Jesus will show it to you. You've got to hear. You've got to be awakened. You, your eyes have to be open to see. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. They are ready to die. That means they're not totally dead yet. For oh, I have not found your works perfect before God. And after that, he says, look, how you have received and heard, and previously you've done it before, it's okay. Now hold fast and repent. If you will not watch, if you don't open your eyes and see, this is going to be the problem. But as you do this, this is the outcome. You've got to go and warn the others, go and awaken the others, go and encourage the others, you see. It's no, no good just to say, I'm alive. Oh, I can see all these things. And then stop. How about the others who need to be awakened? The others that need to be encouraged. We have to warn them because Jesus gives the note in verse 4 to 6. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me because they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. What's the thing that we learn down here? I think we know that one can be alive, we can have a Christian label, and yet live as if we are spiritually dead. And if he ceases to see and to hear what the Spirit is saying and showing him, then you just keep slipping. The vital signs, you understand? Keeps dwindling lower and lower. So to all the seven churches in Revelation, Jesus ends with this, right? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And as I look at this one line, there are different interpretations to this when Jesus says, I will blot out your name from the book of what? Life. I just wrote one line here. I just want you to consider this. Dead things have no place in the book of life. Does it make sense? I'm just borrowing the words of Jesus, okay? Please don't throw things at me. But we must ponder this because if we want to listen to the Christ, we have to hear what He's saying. Let me bring you to the seventh example, the last one. i show you Jeremiah something that's very, very close to my heart. And those who have journeyed with me will understand. Jeremiah, another prophet. What does God say to this one who is spiritually alive? The first thing he says, what do you see? You see, if you're alive, when you're alive, you, you see spiritually. You have understanding. You're seeing something. Jeremiah says, I see an almond tree or the branch of an almond tree. And we know that this almond tree is called the awake tree. It's time for always an awakening. Then God says to him again, what do you see? He says, I see a boiling pot that tips from the north. And we see that that is a disaster picture that was going to come upon the land. Today you know that this has inspired or triggered the movement of what we call Akiba's Awakening. That there is this need to awaken the saints because there are many who are still asleep. And I leave you to wonder and decide, to discern you know, what that really, really means. Are we alive or are we dead? And the context of this awakening is that we are in the final days, in the final hours. And after God gives these two visions to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah sees correctly, and God sort of affirms that this was God's instruction to Jeremiah in Verse 17. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise and do what? And speak. There we have it again. Go and speak and tell them all that I command you. See, we can't stay silent. We cannot stand still. If we are alive, our eyes are open, We begin to hear. our ears are open, we begin to hear and see, God will give an instruction and will tell you this is what you need to say or this is what you need to do. And we've got to take it all the way through. This was an indictment against Israel and her leaders. Supposedly, these were kingdom people. Let me read to you Isaiah 42, verse 18. It's very scary when you hear these words. Hear, you deaf. How to hear when deaf? And look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as He who is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant? Seeing many things, but you do not observe. Opening the ears, but He does not hear. These are tough words to, if God is saying this to me, I would, it's tough. Isaiah 56 verse 10. His watchmen, Israel's watchmen, they are blind. They are ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Yell the dog again, I'm sorry. They're sleeping, they're lying down, they're loving to slumber. These are watchmen. Now, what do watchmen have to do? They have to warn, right? They've got to sound the alarm. They've got to tell people, come on, guys, we've got to wake up, come on. You know this... But you see, if they themselves are blind and can't see, then it speaks something about their spiritual aliveness or deadness. And so out of this, you know that we have this ministry called Archippus Awakening, derived from or inspired by this Jeremiah account and Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. We have three words that remind us that we have to be awakened, aligned, and assigned. What does it mean to be awake? Now you know, right? To be spiritually alive, right? And what does it mean to be spiritually alive? We must move to alignment. So what does it mean to be aligned? There must be spiritual insight, foresight and there must be spiritual understanding. Otherwise, how to align? You don't know where to take your reference from. So we have to see what God is showing us. Then we must make the correction. We must hear what God is saying to us. Then we make the realignment. But after that, what happens? We have to be assigned. So when God says speak, we have to speak, correct? Right? When God says, do this, we have to do. When God says, go there, we have to go. And so there's this line that, that is important for us. One of the traits of our keepers is that he is aware. Now, how do you become aware? Your eyes start to see, your ears start to hear, but you cannot be apathetic. You cannot say, oh, I see this and I hear it and then I boch up, I don't care. Then you stop and you don't want to do anything. Then there's no outflow, you get my point. There's no response so we have to speak, we have to awaken others, we have to warn others, we have to encourage others, we have to act, then these are our assignments that we, we need to do. See, these three miracles right at the end, you know, sort of when you put them together, the, the rabbis call it stringing pearls, you understand? Huh? Just when you link it together, somehow there's a little story that you begin to see. And if you are ready to do this, you say, Lord, I'm alive. Lord, I see the kingdom. I understand the kingdom. I'm hearing the kingdom. Man, Lord, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to join you. And and I'm going to get out to, to advance the kingdom of God with you together. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But please be reminded spiritual oppression can come. You notice what's between the see and the speak? What's between the story of the blind man and the mute man? Demonic possession, demonic oppression. And if you, again, pardon me, that, that license here, you begin to see something and you know you need to speak it. But before you do that, something comes in the way. Have you experienced that before? Right? Something like, you're like, are you like that? You've got to prepare for something like that. You have the authority in Jesus' name. You've got to get that out of the way and the man spoke. At the same time, there can also be institutional opposition because when you begin to see things about the kingdom of God and you want to speak about the kingdom of God, sometimes institutional paradigms and traditions may not take it well. And so you see the Pharisees coming against Jesus. Oh, he does all these oh, kingdom things. Oh, this, this one must be wrong. Must be this. Must be that. They will discount it. And with this one story here, you begin to see that the the, the opposition against Jesus intensifies. As we go through the book of Matthew, you will see that they will become bolder and bolder. They will keep coming against Jesus. And of course, you know how that ends up towards the end. And so, my dear friends, bringing Matthew chapter 8 and 9 to a close. Ten miracles. Some discipleship footnotes for that. And I like the way Matthew closes it. You notice when he first starts before chapter 8, at the end of chapter 7, it says, the people marveled when Jesus taught with authority. Wow. They marveled. Right at the end, after sharing all the miracles and all the discipleship footnotes again, the multitudes marveled saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. So there's a while in the beginning and there's a while at the end. He sandwiches Everything with everyone going, being astonished and marvelling and being impressed with Jesus. But you and I know it's not just the wow. You must also be ready to bow. Don't miss the Messiah. If you go through everything and you miss the Messiah, you miss Matthew's intent. The focus of Act 1, Jesus is worth following. The Messiah is worth following and worth serving. The focus of Act 2, Expect opposition when you are following Jesus. It will come. You cannot see someone. You cannot run. It will come. Act number three. When you are alive, your eyes will be open. Your ears will open to hear. Your mouth will be open to declare and to be proclaiming the kingdom. And so I encourage us all that we want to be awakened, to be aligned, and to be assigned for Jesus and his kingdom when you're alive you know as we prepare our hearts to close and to pray let me ask you these questions are you alive in Christ and if the answer is yes then the next question must be Lord what are you showing me what are you seeing what is God saying to you and what are you hearing and if you are struggling even with this then will you pray lord will you open my eyes will you open my ears because i know that i'm alive in christ that's a promise there's nothing i can do to generate that it is by faith i receive it according to your grace there's nothing wrong with that the promise is sure but will you open my eyes lord i don't want it just to be a statement i want it to be a reality for myself and then I will ask you, what does God want you to declare and to proclaim? What does God want you to do? How does God want you to respond? And if you're not sure, will you pray also then to say, God, as you open my eyes to see and my ears to hear, may it not just tickle my intellect and my interest to say, wow, what a nice teaching that was. Oh, this is so revelational, you know. But Lord, will you go deep into my heart and tell me this is what you want me to do and how I can partner you in the kingdom? Father, we want to thank you for Scripture once more. We begin with that. We're going to close with that same praise and that same heart of appreciation. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would have been speaking through all the scriptures that would be there. And I ask that hearts would be open. Lord, I pray that the prophecy of Isaiah will not be operational that, you know, in this place. I pray that eyes would, would see and they would really see. I pray that ears would have heard and they would have really heard, Lord. I pray that hearts would have been hungry and that, Lord, you will give understanding. Lord, let us not just declare, Lord, I'm alive, I'm alive, but our lives don't show it. Lord, will you help us? Everything is according to your grace, and we believe that you can empower us and you can lead us, but as we respond to you, will you show us what our assignments might be? And if we need to say something, will you give us that boldness and that courage to do it? If we need to go somewhere, will you give us, Lord, that grace, that strength to take that one step forward? If we need to give something up, Lord, will you again, Lord, empower us so that we can release it for the glory of Jesus? Because, Lord, I declare that in this place, there are people who are all spiritually alive, people who are able to see, hear, and also to respond to what you would give to us. And so we thank you, we praise you, thank you for what we have been going through. Once again, we proclaim Jesus as the Christ. We give Him glory, we give Him praise and we stand ready to serve Him and His kingdom. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.